Good morning. Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. Last week, Peter introduced us to the macro idea of submission, and as well as an application relating to honoring civil authority. Today, another application of the concept of submission with regard to employees and submission. God's Word is always super applicable to our lives. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to grow us, to, uh, to challenge us, and, and I'm striving to bring out implications, but the Holy Spirit applies it to our lives, and I have to say this week, this passage is what I would call hyper-applicable to our lives. When you think about being under someone's authority, one of the first things you might think of if you're an employee is how can I show appropriate honor and respect and submission to my employer? And this is what Peter is getting at in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, where we are seeing the calling of Christians in the workplace, even if you have the boss from hell. So please stand with me if you're able to read God's word. I'm going to read verses 18 and 20 to 23 of 1 Peter 2. Then we'll pray, and then we'll dive back into the passage. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today desiring to be submissive to you and to those you have placed over us. Lord, we admit that we have not been submissive, that we have We have rebelled against your lordship and and even the oversight of others. If we were completely honest, we would admit that we are often fearful of submission. Lord, we ask that you give us courage. That you would break down the walls in our lives and our hearts that keep us from submitting fully to you or even to see our need for submission to others who are in authority over us. Lord God, by your Spirit, through your Word, please change us, rearrange us, constrain us to follow where you lead. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The idea of this passage is that employees should serve under the authority of their employers 
to fulfill their true calling to follow Christ. The true calling of following Jesus. But that's where our fallen condition rises up and comes into really clear focus. We inwardly and outwardly rebel against submitting ourselves to authority, especially bosses, because we don't like being bossed. Everyone wants to be the boss. No one wants to be bossed. Now, do you ever feel like you have or have had the boss from hell? I told the great staff, you cannot answer that question. Anything you say can and will be held against you. There will be a a workplace bullying and, and a mobbing going on. One notable boss that would be the boss from hell was in the movie The Devil Wears Prada. Meryl Streep plays Miranda Priestley, who's this high-powered editor of a fashion magazine, and she continually demands unreasonable things. She continually publicly demeans her assistant. The assistant puts up with it just to keep her job and get ahead. Now, my first boss was good and kind. Her name was Fern Meltvit. Fern Meltvit. My job was a manual labor job, and... She lived in Downey where I grew up and um, I was going through a particularly interesting time of my life at that point so I had to have my mom drive me to work. In fact, it was a manual labor job so she would drive my tools to work as well. I, I know, a little bit embarrassing. But I was 12 years old. I got this job through the Downey Youth Employment. I couldn't drive to it and I couldn't, you know, strap my lawnmower on the back of my, my backpack and ride my bike and so my mom would drive me over to Fern's house and I would mow the front yard and edge the front yard then I would move to the backyard and mow the back lawn and edge the back lawn and I did a good job I worked very hard and Fern would come out and I think I got about a dollar fifty each time I did this which I was very happy for this was in the 70s but then she would hand me a tall glass of fresh made homemade lemonade. So I worked hard, Fern gave me lemonade, and everything was great. Then along came my second job, my, my first paycheck job. I worked at a bank, uh, excuse me, a bakery. That was, that was, I worked at a bank later on. <laughs> That's another story. But I worked at a bakery in Downey, and my job was to get there about 6, 6.30 in the morning, on the weekends, and wash bakery pans. So the stacks of bakery pans seemed to go higher than I was tall, and I was only about five feet tall at the time. And I worked hard. I was a shy kid, I was uh, conscientious, and I had been taught by my parents to, to do you know, hard work. But my boss would stand behind me, wagging his finger saying, you need to work harder. There's other young boys that would want this job. They'd love this job. And then I got my first paycheck. And I'm looking at it thinking, this doesn't seem right. It's not enough. And I thought I was getting $1.65 an hour, minimum wage. And so I politely, and I'm sure rather shyly, timidly, asked my boss, "Um, is this the right amount? I thought I was getting paid minimum wage. The response was, you're 15, you're underage, we don't have to pay you minimum wage. If you don't like it, go get another job. And so I kept my job because I needed to earn $250 to go to a three-week cross-country camp up in Montana with the Downey High cross-country team. 
And as soon as I earned the 250 and went on the trip, I, I quit my job. I had the freedom to do that. But I didn't like it because it was unfair. My boss was demanding, unjust, but I needed the money, so I kept the job. But I didn't like it one bit. Lots of people don't like their jobs. Lots of people hate their work. I mean, 70% of those surveyed in the recent Gallup poll are said to either hate their jobs or are totally disengaged with them. It costs the U.S. an estimated $450 to $550 billion annually in lost productivity, stolen goods, and missed days at work. But what does God say about a God-honoring Christian employee and what they do? What does God say about how they're supposed to to do what they do? And and why are they supposed to do it? That's really the outline we're going to follow today. First of all, what does God say about it? There's a command. And then, how are you supposed to do this? There's a criteria. And also, why? There is a calling involved. I think a lot of Christians don't realize how connected their submission to authority is to their spiritual health. People are happy to think, oh, you know, my job, that part of my life, that's the, that's the part that really doesn't matter. The, the Jesus-loving, gospel-preaching, Bible-believing part of my life, that's really what matters. And whatever I do on the work side, you know, that stays separate. Not so. Everything is linked. And so your submission, my submission, or lack thereof, reveals our submission to God or not. And it reveals an attitude of our hearts. It reveals the condition of our hearts. So 1 Peter 2, verses 18 to 23, is showing us how a Christian employee is to submit to his boss and why. You could call this the conscientious employee. You could call this God-honoring employeehood, whatever you wish. But I want to say this. This passage applies to people in and out of the paid workforce. If you're not yet in the workforce and you someday want to be, you need to figure out beforehand how you will respond, how you will operate. If you're not in the workplace anymore, maybe you're retired or, or maybe you don't plan to be in the paid workforce. Maybe you're a volunteer and maybe you have other people over you in some settings of life. I just want to say, if you're not in the paid workforce, you want to encourage others who are, how they should respond. But either way, this all applies to us. It can be applied to volunteered and paid alike showing us how our choices affect our spiritual health and even the spiritual health of others. So you can find applications to these principles in many settings, paid and volunteer, where you find yourself under the authority of another. So first of all, let's start with the command. What are you supposed to do? What's a, what's a Christian employee supposed to do? The idea is that you submit to your employer. It's a very simple idea, easily said, a lot tougher to do, okay? But submit to your employer. Verse 18 begins like this. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not just to the good and kind fern melts of the world, but also to the unjust bakery owners of the world. That word unjust is interesting. It, it means crooked and perverse. It's the Greek word scolios. We get our English word scoliosis, the curvature of the spine from it. But even the unjust deserve our respect, deserve our honor and submission. 
I think about biblical examples of people that exercised un, unjust authority over others. I think about King Saul. My mind first just goes to him. King Saul and, and then David, who, who had been anointed king, but he hadn't received the kingship yet. And Saul is chasing David down and wants to kill him. And God delivers Saul into David's hand. David was even able to sneak up and and cut off the edge of Saul's cloak. And he said, I will not, will not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. I I won't do it. I respect his position. I I honor God by, by not doing away with my enemy. I think about Jacob and Laban. Here's Jacob who is serving, enduring unfair treatment at the hand of his father-in-law for years in the new testament i think of philemon who is being encouraged to to forgive and to pardon his runaway slave onesimus onesimus that name means useful and and he is being told that now he's come to faith in christ after he ran away from you and he is now a useful brother in the lord he's now a fellow worker in the gospel receive him back that must have been hard for philemon to take and to humble himself to, to receive this slave back. Some of you are probably thinking, wait a minute, time out. How does this passage of Scripture apply to employees? Aren't you making a little bit of a leap here? We're committed to go verse by verse through the Scriptures. We're committed to reading it, explaining it, applying it. And wait a minute, you, you're saying this is employees. I don't see employees. I see the word servants. So how do we come to this idea that this refers to employees. I want you to go to verse 16. We looked at this last week, but look at verse 16 of 1 Peter 2. It says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. That word servants is the Greek word doulos, which is the most common word or servant, or bond servant, literally slave, in the New Testament. But Peter uses a different word when he says in verse 18, servants. He uses a word that is, is a related word. It's almost synonymous, but it's, very le- it's a lot less common than doulos. It's oikates. The Greek word for house, oikos, is in that word. And what it means is a house servant. Service that is happening within a household. Now if you see the word slave, you are an American, you live in the West, you're going to immediately think of 19th century America and our horrible treatment of slaves. And that gives the word slave a far worse meaning than the people to whom Peter was writing would have thought. We've got to kind of put on the mindset of of the first century people that were receiving this teaching to get what he's getting at. Now, back then, slaves were mistreated at times. But in general, they were treated far better than than slaves that we would think of in 19th century America. They were actually generally well-treated. And they weren't just unskilled labor. They weren't just, hey, you know, do whatever I say. They were often managers. They were often 
overseers. They were trained members of various professions. Amongst them would have been doctors, nurses, musicians, skilled artisans. There was extensive Roman law that regulated the treatment of slaves, the fair treatment of slaves. You would be held accountable if you mistreated your slave. Now, early on in the Roman in the Roman history, slaves were acquired through war, sometimes through kidnapping. So they would come from different foreign lands. By the first century, the people that Peter was writing to, most of the slaves he was writing to had been brought up in a slave household. Their legal status, their social standing was lower than regular citizens, these oikates. But you say the word slave and we think, connotation that is far more negative than what Peter would have meant. Servant comes closest, but it's not strong enough. So there's no English word that is completely adequate for, for, for our purposes here, because there is no exactly comparable institution in the Western society that would have matched this idea of being a professional and being a slave with, whose service was not voluntary. So where do we find a parallel? That's where employee comes in. The interesting part about oikates, this idea of servanthood or even slavery, it was by far the most common type of employer-employee relationship in the first century, in the ancient world. So the closest application to, to Peter's command to servants would be to employees today. It's where we get the idea of this is for employees. Now the difference is they couldn't quit. You don't like your job, you don't like your boss, you can quit if you want. They couldn't quit. But the application here is to what do you do while you're employed? So it matches up with us. Servants, be submissive to your masters. It encourages employees to have this ongoing heart attitude where they realize they're accepting there's a legal and an economic authority over them and, a, and they will have willing obedience, even a joyful obedience to their bosses what is called for is humility deep deep humility the idea of a deep awareness on the part of a believer of who god is and and what they've been saved from in christ as christ at the cross shed his precious blood and and died in their place and substituted himself in their place and and he he by by virtue of their faith in him, frees them from their, the power of, of sin, the penalty of sin, and, and one day, because of their hope in heaven, they will be freed from the, the presence of sin. Humility is called for, though, because when we, when we realize who we are under God, it should make us humble before other people. I think we can all acknowledge that it's not easy being bossed. No one likes to be bossed. We'd rather even rebel than submit. And you may have heard of the Haymarket Rebellion in 1886, also known as the Haymarket Massacre or Riot. It was the aftermath of a bombing and subsequent shootings that took place that started in a very peaceful labor demonstration. Someone threw a bomb in the middle of the crowd, killing seven policemen and four civilians. And a huge trial ensued. Eight people, eight anarchists, were were convicted of conspiring to build this bomb and, and kill the people. And seven of them were sentenced to death, one of them to 15 years in prison. One of those that was awaiting the gallows killed themselves while in jail 
rather than face the gallows. But on November 11th, 1887, four of them were hanged. Dark day in, in American history uh, in, the, in the labor movement. Employees don't always like to submit. Sometimes they want to rebel. Now, if you're being asked to break the law, if you're being asked to disobey God, civil disobedience is on the menu for you. But civil obedience, obedience and submission is the norm unless you're being told you must disobey God, you must disobey God's word. So employees should serve under the authority of their employers to fulfill their true calling of following Jesus. Now, I don't think we should go as far as the old Japanese saying, if your boss says the passing cow is white, you must agree. If the cow's black, the cow's black. Tell the truth. But based on 1 Peter 2, 18-23, I don't think Christians should rebel or be insolent or insubordinate or engage in sickouts or strike. Our fallen condition rises up, comes into clear focus, and we inwardly and outwardly rebel against authority and against submitting to that authority, especially bosses, because we don't like being bossed. We want to be the boss. But the command still stands. What are you to do as a Christian employee? Submit to your employer. What are you to do as a Christian who is under the authority of another, whether it's paid or volunteer? Submit to their authority. But what's so common? What's so common is to gripe and complain about those that are in charge. It might be the coach of your kid's soccer team. It might be the head of the PTA. It might be a member of a civic organization that's all volunteer run. Or it might be your boss. But it's very easy for discussions to go on and emails to be sent, nasty letters to be written, anonymous of course, and, and all sorts of things going on because of our inability to submit our unwillingness to submit the command stands what are you to do as a christian submit now there's a criteria to it there's 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 a there's a how attached to it how are you supposed to do that there are three phrases i want to point out that that show us how the first is with all respect the second is a gracious thing beautiful words a gracious thing and the third is mindful of god we'll look at those three in order the first is in verse 18 with all respect what does that mean it says it says servants be subject to your masters with all respect the first thing i think of is well that means respect your master be respectful but upon further review we'll see it goes deeper than that if you go over to ephesians chapter 6 this will shed some light on this verse ephesians chapter 6 and we'll begin at verse 5 It says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Well, now you're being told to have fear and trembling as you obey your earthly masters. Now, read in the Bible, and except for maybe a place like this, I never read that you're supposed to fear man. The fear of man is a snare. You're supposed to fear God. Jesus says this. He says, don't fear those who can kill you, just your body. Fear the one who can throw you know everything about you into hell you fear god basically so what is, what is this getting at slaves obey your masters with fear and trembling so i'm supposed to be like all afraid and trembling as i'm obeying the master no 
You've got to keep reading. It says, with a sincere heart. So you're, you're obeying your early ma- earthly masters. Fear and trembling is part of the picture. With a sincere heart. And here's the key. As you would Christ. As you would Christ. So the idea is that you're serving Jesus while you're serving your master. Now you're not serving your master with a clenched fist or clenched teeth. But you're serving your master with joyful obedience because your, your master over everything in your life is Jesus. So slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service, you know, looking like you're serving or looking like you're loyal, but not being. As people pleasers, don't be people pleasers, be God pleasers as servants of Christ. So you are submitting to your earthly master, whether they are a believer, non-believer, whether they are fair or not. All believing bosses are not fair. All, be- all unbelieving bosses aren't unfair. We know this. It's, whatever you do, do the will of God from your heart, rendering service, it says, with all goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. So the idea behind with all respect is you're fearing God. The Greek word is phobeo. You're never told to fear people in Scripture. You're told to respect and honor people, but not to use... That word phobeo is is reserved for fear of God, worship of God, obedience to God. So first of all, you want to be fearing God. You want to be respecting God. And secondly, it says in verse 19, this is a gracious thing. I love that phrase. It's a gracious thing. Literally, it's a grace. It's a grace from God. God is... Here's what it means. God is pleased. It's, it's well-pleasing to God. It, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing in God's sight. It's commendable in God's sight. What? Well, when you, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure it. That's a gracious thing in the sight of God. So first you want to be fearing God. That's how you do it. You want to be, be um, pleasing to God. And then it says Mindful. To be mindful of God. It says it right there in, in verse 19. This is a gracious thing when mindful of God, that one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. The idea is being aware that God sees. It's like God has this hidden video camera, not to see where you, where you mess up, but for his glory and your good, and he sees everything. So he knows your motive, he knows your thoughts. So you're aware that he sees. You're aware that God is, is watching you and your boss. So whatever you do, as Colossians 3.23 says, do your work from your heart, not to please man, but pleasing God. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. So fearing God, pleasing God, mindful of God, that should lead to this ongoing heart attitude on our part that leads to actions such as respect, that would lead to hard work, that... You would work hard and not be lazy. And lots of people will say, they're not paying me enough, so I'm going to slack off. I'm going to even out the scales. That's dishonest. The hundreds of billions of dollars lost of wasted time in the workplace in our country. Don't steal time or money. Don't be insolent. Don't be insubordinate. And Jesus is your model. And because Jesus is your model, you should be like a pit bull with a tennis ball with yourself on this. Do not let yourself off the hook. We let ourselves off the hook so easy, don't we? Oh, I, I have, I can reason it away. I don't know what they're doing, but what I'm doing is perfectly justified. 
you got to fight your tendency to want your agenda. you got to fight your tendency to, to want your desires and your demands and guard your heart. And remember this. You can just quit to escape an unjust employer. So your employer is unfair and unjust and won't even pay you minimum wage. You can quit. You have the freedom. Slaves and servants in Bible times didn't. You see that Onesimus got sent back. So you're not supposed to express insubordination or insolence or even independence and run away like Onesimus did. Those are not options for us. We, now, we can't quit. We can quit. By the way, we're talking about employees here, but we, let's, let's take a moment and talk about bosses. Bosses have clear biblical instructions. So if you're a Christian and you are in authority over people in any way, you need to, to listen up. Colossians 4.1 is a good starting point if you want to go there. Colossians 4.1. Here's how it starts. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly. Be fair, be just, knowing that you have a master in heaven. God is your boss and he is the judge. And then you go over to Ephesians 6. You begin at verse 9. It says, Masters, do the same to them. Do what same? With goodwill, render service to everyone as serving the Lord. So masters are supposed to do goodwill towards their employees as they serve the Lord. And it says, stop your threatening. I talked to one person. I said, hey, this is not a believer, by the way. I said, do you like your job? They're like, oh, yes, I like my job. I said, well, do you like your boss? They said, oh, yes, I like my boss. They're great. I said, what does everybody else think about the boss? He goes, that's another story. I said, well, can you tell me what people say? He goes, I can't in this setting. I can't repeat what I hear. Not here. There's ladies present. It's interesting how how pervasive this is. And and one of the things that I heard was that there was a boss that would would come around into the workplace and, and yell and scream at every employee. Just walk up behind him and just pick out all the things they're doing wrong. He came to this one employee and he's yelling and screaming and saying, you did this wrong and he's pointing this thing out. And the employee very respectfully says, I, I, I didn't do it wrong. In fact, according to this, I did it the right way. Now the mistake that happened was because of this other department. And the boss said, how dare you embarrass me in front of all these other workers? They couldn't win. Masters says, stop your threatening. It means this threatening was going on. Stop doing what you're doing. And know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. This tells me that God doesn't really care who the boss is or who who the employee is this side of heaven. God's the big boss and he cares about the attitude of everybody's hearts and the condition of everybody's hearts and the subsequent actions that flow from those hearts. By the way, speaking of slaves, I think this is kind of a mind-boggling idea, but go with me on this. Let's say you're a slave in the first century. You hear the gospel. You become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you trust in his finished work on the cross, and you receive the liberating news, truth, and reality that you are now free in Christ. And you find out you're not supposed to run away. You're supposed to stay right where you are and serve God in that position. And then you go to your local Christian assembly and you show up and you begin interacting with people and it is 
it is discovered that you have a gift to teach the word of God. And they say, we want you to be our, our Bible teacher. And you, you are now in a position where, you, and, you're, and you're, your master is a Christian. He's in that assembly. You are now teaching. As the slave, you're teaching your master. And it gets better. As time goes on, the congregation says, you know, you're gifted as an overseer, as a shepherd of the flock, and we're going to make you an elder. You aspire to that, and you say yes, and so they make you an elder in this local assembly, and now you're called to lay down your life, even, even more so, for your, your master. And you have the, the, the responsibility, the, the, the privilege, the joyful privilege to to spend and be spent for his soul. I love the way that God just turns human hierarchies upside down. It's very possible that this happened multiple times in New Testament times. Deep humility and repentance is called for. Repentance. We all have things to repent of. I have multiple things to repent of. And as soon as we know, we, we need to confess our sins to God and to anyone else that's been hurt and say, I was wrong. I know that I was talking to a leader of a, a pretty large Christian organization and I was discussing this, this teaching with him and I said, so, of course it doesn't happen at your place, right? He's like, oh my goodness, if you only knew the things that are said and the things that are done, the gossip, the, bike, the backbiting, the griping that goes on amongst Christians regarding their bosses. We know we all have a lot of things to confess and to repent of. And, and it could be that today you're like, you know what, I have, I, I'm guilty. I, I've, not been, I've not been doing a fair day's work or I've not been honoring my, my boss in the right way and I've, and I've justified it on selfish grounds. Deep humility and repentance is called for. A deep awareness of who God is. A deep awareness of what God has saved us from and who we are under Him. And a proper response to God will make us humble before other people as well. The criteria how you to do it is to fear God and please God and, and be mindful that he sees. But there's also a calling. There's the big why. The big why should we do this? Go to verse 21. It says, for to this you have been called. There's calling here. This is why you're to do this. To this you have been called because... Christ also suffered for you. Now we're getting pointed to the cross. And he says, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. I love Peter. When I was preaching through Matthew for those five years, I believe, those beautiful five years, I remember just falling in love with Peter as, as a person that I was really relating to on the basis of, boy, he kept messing up. And, and praise God for forgiveness in Christ. And, and Peter was not a, a voluminous writer. He, he, we have two letters, First and Second Peter. That's it. But what he says just, it, it cuts to the heart, and, and it's, it's built on all the things that happened in his life. And you think about it. In, in one of his highest moments, he, he, pro, he proclaims and professes the, the lordship of Christ. You are the Christ, you know, you're son of the living God. And, and he says that, that, that you know, we, I believe in you, God. I believe in you, Jesus. You're God. And soon after, he's telling Jesus not to go to the cross. And Peter's like, get behind me, Satan. He gets this rebuke right after he gets a commendation. And it's, 
I, can, I, I get it. I think I, we, can, we can relate, right? We can relate with Peter. And so here's Peter telling us these things by, by the Holy Spirit's inspiration. And, and we're like, we get this. Following in Christ's steps? I mean, like when Peter said he would? Yeah, Jesus, I'm going to follow you better than anyone else. And Jesus like, dude, if you only know that by the end of this day, you will have denied me three times. You will have denied that you even know me three times. Follow in my steps? Oh, Peter, please. But there is forgiveness in Christ. And Peter, as he is writing this, he knows. He speaks from experience. He's speaking to our hearts. And, and he says, you know what? You're called to this, that you would follow in his steps. So what does following in, in Jesus' steps mean? It means suffer for Christ. Share in Christ's sufferings. Be like Christ. Imitate Christ. For to this you have been called. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Write this down. You need to write it down. Submission is my vocation. Submission is my vocation. You say, no, I'm a plumber. No, I'm a lawyer. No, I'm an accountant. No, I'm an engineer. Well, that's your day job. But submission is your vocation. Vocation means calling. One of the key ideas of the Protestant Reformation was this idea of the doctrine of vocation, where God has specific callings on every Christian's life. Christian, spouse, parent, citizen, servant of God, all all sorts of things, neighbor. Your vocation is a call to suffer. It's the hardest Christian teaching to accept, to embrace, the hardest truth to embrace. But see, the servant doesn't choose. We love to talk about how free we are. The servant doesn't choose. The servant obeys. The servant submits. The servant accepts. The servant acts upon the command. Because Christ, it says, also suffered for you. So we're talking about the cross, and it's, it says leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. You might have heard of an old book, which is called In His Steps. And it was all about what would Jesus have done? And what would Jesus do in this setting, in that setting? And years and years later, it led to uh, the whole movement of the WWJD bracelets that lots of people would wear. And they would try to say, in my daily life, what would Jesus do here? The problem is, they got one letter wrong. It shouldn't be, what would Jesus do? But what did Jesus do? Peter's telling us, it's right here. We don't need to wonder what Jesus would do. We know what Jesus did. It says here that he committed no sin. And no no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And I love the just position of those, those, those terms. At the very beginning here, you've got servants be subject to your master, even if they're unjust. And now you've got entrust your soul 
to the just judge. Entrust your soul to him. There was no sin. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. No gossip, no slander, no backbiting. You know, you like your boss and you get everything you want. Well, they can do no wrong. But if not, you find it easy to gripe and to complain about them. So common. No retaliation. When reviled, he didn't reviled. No boycotting, no striking. No threatening. You know, I'm going to quit if it doesn't work out my way. I'm going to take my ball and go home. Just quit. Don't threaten. Don't try to control people by threatening to quit. And then it says he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You give yourself over to the authority of another. Now, God himself. Didn't threaten. He continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. So why are we to endure? Because of Jesus. Not to make lemonade out of lemons. You know, I'm taking a bad situation and making it a little bit better. No, because it's your vocation to suffer for Christ and even to suffer joyfully for Christ. To rejoice that you're counted worthy to suffer for his name. We don't like this. Our flesh repels it. Our flesh flesh hates it. But as a slave of Christ, your job and my job is to entrust ourselves to the just judge. To make much of Christ in every situation that God ordains. Tim Keller says this. In fact, I have it taped right up here on this lectern right here. But I got it in my notes as well. The gospel is not just the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom. But the way we make all progress in the kingdom. We are not justified by the gospel and then sanctified by obedience. But the gospel is the way we grow and are renewed. He says it is the solution to each problem. Your problems in your workplace, problems in your volunteer associations. Jesus is the solution. The gospel truth of the grace of God in Christ is the solution. He says it's the key to each closed door. You've had the door slammed in your face. Jesus is the key. The power through every barrier. There's roadblocks all up in your way. The gospel is the answer. Jesus and him crucified, risen, and coming again is the answer. In the time we have left, I want to, I want to share with you how you should, can, submit like Jesus. Painfulest thing, most painful thing we will ever do in life. Let's say you're dealing with a tough boss. Let's say day after day your soul is being tormented even. How do you deal with the troubles? How do you even take a rebuke? A just one or an unjust one? I've had some rebukes. Just and unjust and both hurt. Because I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. I don't want to admit that I should humble myself. So how do you submit like Jesus and deal with that tough situation. The first thing is, I want to give you three things. The first thing is, get some perspective. Gain some perspective. And the only way I know to do that is to take a step back and be able to get open to learn the lesson that you need to learn. Well, you're up in there, you've got the microphone all dialed, uh, excuse me, the microscope all dialed in, and you're just all microscopically thinking about your situation. You've got you to take a step back and get some perspective. You know when you get caught in a spider web, how bad that feels? Ooh, I hate that. I don't like spiders. Don't like spider webs. They stick to you. 
try to get loose, you, you, you can't do it. Friday night, it's not about a spider web, but a spider. Friday night, I'm sharing a lot of these things with the men at the men's retreat. Two guys in the front row are kind of snickering when I'm starting. I'm thinking they're laughing at Fern Meltfit's name. They come up to me afterwards and they say, hey, we're sorry we were, you know, laughing and stuff, but a spider went up your pant leg like in the first five minutes. I'm like, and you didn't tell me right then? I'm the, you, if you know me well, you know I'm the last person you tell me that, hey, 40 minutes ago a spider went up your leg. <laughs> really? I'm going in the bathroom, taking everything off, and a, and a spider crawls down into the drain. I'm like, I've been bitten, I'm going to die within hours, minutes maybe. I even asked my wife today, I, between first and second service, look, I'm being honest with you. I said, I pulled up my arm, I said, is there a spider bite right back here? <laughs> because it kind of hurts right now. Um, but you're in the spider web, and the spider's coming at you, and you've got to get out of there. But we have trouble doing that. We, we have a lot of trouble with perspective. The questions you should ask yourself when you get a little perspective is, what's my idol here? Is my boss my idol? Is my job my idol? Am I my idol? You should ask yourself, what do I need to entrust over to the Lord? Where's my need for repentance? Is it for pride or arrogance or insubordination to God or my boss? And maybe the the key question we should be asking ourselves is, what good thing do I think God is withholding from me in this situation? I mean, we would love the health and wealth gospel right about now. Hey, you just do this, this, and this, and God will give you anything you want. The house, the spouse, the car, whatever is yours. Why do you think the, some of the biggest and largest and, and fastest growing churches in America are health and wealth gospel churches? Because people love to be told that they will get exactly what they want. I'm a big fan of uh, the Far Side comics. They're not in print anymore, but Gary Larson, and my favorite, and I hope I don't hurt your feelings too much if, if you play a certain instrument, but here's, here's how it goes. Welcome to heaven, here's your harp. Welcome to hell, here's your accordion. So you become a Christian, and here's what it is. Here's what it is. Welcome to faith in Christ, here's your suffering. Whoa, whoa, whoa where's my health and wealth? Now we're having suffering today. Oh, and for the rest of your life. You'll have joy. You'll even have joy in suffering. But your calling, your vocation is to suffer. We, we don't like to hear that. Ephesians 4 says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. And you're like, I get angry all the time and I'm sinning all the time. I'm in trouble. But Jesus is our sovereign, sinless Savior who never could, never did, never would sin. Hebrews 4.15. We have a Savior who suffered like us without sin. means he went in without sin, came out without sin. Never could, never would, never did. And his righteousness in Christ, you, you believe in Jesus, his righteousness is yours. You have identification with him. And God condemned sin in the flesh at the cross. And he set you free from its power and its penalty. And one day... His, its presence and, and if you walk in the light as he is in the light you have fellowship with one another and the, the blood of Christ continually cleanses you from all sin so stepping back and getting some perspective in a situation is really good your life as a believer you'll see doesn't con- consist of the things of your life right now the things on earth you're, you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies you're to 
Fix your mind and your, and, your, and your heart not on the things of earth, but on the things of heaven. Because the things of earth are going to burn and things of heaven are eternal and people's souls are at stake. So get some perspective. Find some perspective. Step back. Ask. Ask people to help you. That's one way to get out of a spider web, by the way. Ask someone to pull it away from you. The second thing I want to bring up is that you need to be patient. See, the perspective comes when you look at the cross. Peter says, Christ also suffered for you. Well, the patience is, when you do good and suffer for it and you endure, that's pleasing to God. We like to micromanage our lives. We like to micromanage other people's lives. We want cookie-cutter answers. But we need to surrender to God and His timetable. Entrust yourself to God. I love Proverbs 16.3. Commit your works to the Lord, your plans will be established. The Hebrew word for commit means to roll. You roll something away, it's a great picture. You roll something away, it's not in your hands anymore. It's in God's hands. The opposite of trusting everything to God is trusting everything in yourself. Because we're always looking for affirmation, we're always looking to be right, and we're always looking to not admit that we're wrong. What happens is we like to stew in our sorrows. I do this too often. I like to wallow in the sorrow. I like to marinate in the sorrow. It's like being stuck in a maze and you don't know how to get out, but you're going to try. You love to try and figure it all out before looking up to God. Well, I've been personally injured. I've been hurt. It feels so good to feel so bad. You know, we love feeling bad and just kind of, just marinating in how bad we feel because now the attention's on us and we attend to ourselves and get other people to do so. But God has a way to get us to our knees one way or another. I love what Dave Stroh preached a couple of weeks ago, 2 Corinthians 1.9. The troubles are to make you not rely on yourself, but on God who raises the dead. That's why you have trouble in your life. And that's why you will have trouble every day of your life here on earth. The most joyful day will have trouble. And God wants us to joyfully submit. Not to get angry or retaliate. Vengeance is the Lord's. He's going to repay. The more meek and lowly we become, the more like Jesus we become. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We need to imitate that. The last thing, before the worship team comes up, the last thing, the third thing, not just get some perspective and be patient, but see the higher purpose of God in the tough time receive it as a gracious gift from God this this suffering but just know this succeeding at your job doing really well in your other roles in life they're not God's end game for you on earth God not God's end game for you for eternity his end game is to make you more like Christ so you got to see his glory in your work and you got to see his hand in your toughest challenges 1 Timothy 6 says, All who are under a yoke as bondservants must regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. But there is a higher purpose for that. It says, So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Titus 2 says, Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything, be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not stealing, but showing all good faith. And the, the higher purpose in that, so that in everything you may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That you live the gospel truth and speak the gospel truth and when they see your life, the rug isn't pulled out from under the spoken gospel. 
the lived gospel matches up. They know you're not perfect, but they realize, wow, I see, I see what Jesus has done here. God wants to win people for Christ through our life. Your personal witness matters. 90% of people who come to faith in Christ say they do so because of a family member, a friend, a coworker, or a neighbor's personal life that impacted them. You have a boss or a supervisor that just gets under your skin like every day. They ride you all the time. They're always telling you what you're doing wrong. You never seem to get a break. Everyone else skates and you are always in trouble. Well, remember this, please. God has placed all the bosses in your life for a reason. The really good ones, to encourage you. The really bad ones, to force you to your knees and to learn humility and submission. I want to close by telling you a story about one worker that I recently heard of. When he first started his job, he found it really hard as a Christian to respect his boss and to show him the love of Christ because his boss would yell at everyone, including him. And he was using very inappropriate language and other things with his subordinates. But this employee felt compelled to begin to pray for his boss five minutes a day before work. And he said that as soon as he started praying for his boss, he wasn't afraid anymore, and he was able to listen calmly while his boss yelled at him and criticized his work. And instead of defending his work or getting upset and frustrated in meetings, by God's grace, he was able to actually agree with his boss and appreciate his comments, even though the boss used yelling as his primary communication vehicle. After a while, his boss's attitude towards him changed. His attitude changed towards his boss, and God started to to somehow move in the boss's heart so that he would not yell at him all the time. And and the boss was moved by his, his love and respect for him. He's the only one now that doesn't get yelled at by his boss. He shared that he was willing to accept and embrace his boss even though he has so many flaws because God used his prayer to soften his heart and his boss's heart. His boss has not yet proclaimed faith in Christ. He's not a Christian. But every time he has an important business trip, the boss says, hey, will you pray for me? There is some movement. There's just this command that is impossible to escape. Submit to your employer. Remembering Jesus is the good and perfect boss of all believers. And the criteria of how to do it is to fear God and please God and be mindful of God. And then this calling, why we're to do it, to follow in Christ's steps, to submit ourselves to God because Jesus is the key to your submission. Let's pray. Lord God, you are great and holy and you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We praise you for who you are and that you know all things and that you know what we need in our life. And Lord, we thank you for all the people you've placed in our lives in positions of authority some who have been there to shape us into better people from a generous viewpoint, while others have just driven us to our knees in prayer to learn humility. You've put others in our lives to to learn from us, from the experiences we've been allowed to endure. We thank you, Lord, that you have put us under authority. And Lord, thank you for the grace to be obedient to those in authority. And Lord, we thank you that ultimately you have put them there for our benefit, for our good, for your glory. 
And so we, we say we accept every good and perfect gift you bring. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.